Hey friends, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Monday, the 9th of May. I hope you guys had a fantastic weekend and a good Mother's Day. I am here this week at the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky for the homeschool experience. I can't wait to see you guys. I'm gonna tackle some pretty difficult issues. A mom who has discovered that her husband is having an affair and another mom who's discovered the frozen embryos secret moral dilemma. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, You know, I am in Kentucky right now, obviously, with uh, my friend Ken Ham and the staff here at Answers in Genesis, one of my favorite places to come in the whole wide world for the homeschool experience, having just gotten back from Pigeon Forge at Teach Them Diligently. And I spoke uh, yesterday for my friend, Pastor Phil Hopper over at Abundant Life Church in Lee Summit, Missouri. Thank you to everyone who has been coming out and saying hello. Uh, Wow, such an encouragement and a blessing. And we appreciate all of you so much. Uh, There's a couple of things going on in, uh, you know, in my life as it relates to the uh, the podcast and a couple of things I wanted to share with you. First of all, we've trans we've made the transition to video. And so we're continuing to kind of tweak things as they go along. And I want to encourage you guys to find me. You can find me at Rumble. You can find me at YouTube. Uh, but it, it helps us to have you guys subscribing. So we want to encourage you, follow this podcast. We're making some changes here. Really, really good things are happening. And we want you guys to be encouraged as well. So you can check that out. Uh, just by um, going to YouTube and looking it up. And I will link back to that in the show notes today. Also, we've got some really great opportunities for you to purchase books that were left over from last season. We're kind of clearancing out some shirts to get some new shirts in. New designs are coming in all the time. And we want to encourage you guys to take advantage of those opportunities by visiting my store at HeidiStJohn.com. I often do not talk about myself or what's happening in our ministry necessarily here. And so uh, I was reminded today that I needed to do that. Today is Monday. And as you guys know, it's Mailbox Monday. And so I will take time today to answer your questions. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I've been doing this for about eight years. And if you have a question that you would like addressed here at the podcast, just go ahead and shoot me an email uh, to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. And the way for you guys to reach out to me as always is to just leave those questions there. Remember, keep them short and sweet and to the point and just make sure that your question is something that uh, someone else would be interested in hearing an answer to as well. Today, we've got a couple of difficult topics and uh, the staff, you know, picks through these and they add them to a folder for me and then we kind of determine, you know, together what, you know, what's going to be the focus of the podcast for that particular day or uh, however you want to uh, to sort of slice it. And we decided to go ahead and tackle some of these more difficult questions. I think it's important to note, you know, a lot of you guys will will write in and a lot of things are going on in your life that I can't possibly touch from here. And I want to encourage you to be involved in a local church where you've got accountability, where you have access to a pastoral team that can help you. So many of the issues that we're dealing with in the culture right now are serious enough in nature to where uh, sometimes I just won't even touch them from the podcast. But I want to encourage you that this is the reason that the local church exists, to give you wise counsel, to point you in the right direction, to encourage you to walk 
uh, in right relationship with the Lord and to thrive really in your walk with him. And so uh, that's kind of the the backdrop for today's podcast. Also want to say uh, thank you to a couple of new sponsors, Mark from Oklahoma and David from Idaho. Thank you guys so much. If you want to become a sponsor of this show, if you want to find out what's going on uh, here at the Homeschool Resource Center, the way to do that is to visit uh, fphrc.org. That's the Homeschool Resource Center. You also can sign up to give monthly to support our work here. There is a lot going on. And speaking of a lot going on, if you're in this area at all, the Homeschool Resource Center is proudly presenting a, a brand new musical here. And that starts, it started rather this last weekend. It's going to be going this weekend as well. And you can find out more about that at fphrc.org as well. So uh, excited about that. Thank you guys for your prayers and support. This question comes in from Lauren in Texas. She uh, had an in vitro fertilization. And now she needs guidance as to what to do with her remaining embryos. This is what she wrote. Hi, Heidi. Your podcast has changed my life. Thank you, Lauren. I am a fairly new believer and have been listening to you for the past two years, and I'm so grateful. My husband and I had three kids naturally. Before I became a believer, we had wanted more kids, but found out I had a genetic disease that could be removed by IVF. We wanted a large family, so we did IVF and have six embryos. I have done two rounds of IVF and one sweet baby, our fourth, was born. I have been praying and praying about the last four embryos or babies. Now that I'm a believer, I don't think I would do IVF and I would have left it in his hands, but it is something that I really was not aware of growing up in a secular environment. I just turned 37 The disease that my mom and grandma all started showing symptoms of happened in their 40s, and my body did not take the IVF meds well, and I have severe morning sickness until about 22 weeks. My mom's in a nursing home for this genetic disease, and my dad has died from cancer. My husband has an extremely demanding job, so long story short, I don't have much support. Is this a sin? I keep thinking of these four sweet babies, and I have no idea what I should do. For the health of the family, I don't know if I could be pregnant and do all the homeschooling with the other four, but I know this is a decision that I made and should continue on. Any wisdom would be great. So believe it or not, Lauren, we get a fair amount of questions about IVF here at the show. And uh, I have a a guest in mind that I wanted to have on and I haven't had the opportunity to have her come on. But there's a really interesting article and I'll link back to it. I'm not a huge fan. I should just preface this by saying I'm not a huge fan of Christianity today. But there are a couple of articles that uh, that I had pulled up in sort of getting ready for this show, and this was one of them. And the uh, the headline reads, Frozen Embryos, Biotech's Hidden Dilemma. Well, as you guys can see, I changed the title a little bit for today's podcast, and I said this is Biotech's Hidden Moral Dilemma, because this really is a moral dilemma. And uh, for those of us that believe that life begins at conception, there really is only one choice when it comes to a, a fertilized egg, when it comes to an embryo. And that is that we we want to give that child the opportunity at life. So listen to this. It says, when couples choose in vitro fertilization to create embryos to help build their families, the unused embryos are frozen for future attempts at pregnancy. Most couples are unprepared for what to do with the remaining embryos once their family is complete. There are over 500,000 embryos currently frozen in storage at American clinics. Although together these embryos occupy the space the size of a 12 millimeter cube, the size of a, of a board game die, 
They represent the population of a city the size of Atlanta. Size is subject to perspective. We all look mighty small from the moon, but to God, we are wondrously made and valuable at every stage of development. In 2009, a public opinion survey asked what should be done with remaining embryos. Most respondents said they should be donated to other infertile couples rather than being destroyed or donated for research. To answer this question from a Christian perspective, we must first understand what an embryo is. Unlike an egg or a sperm cell, an embryo is a complete pre-born human being with a full set of chromosomes and DNA. Just like you and me, it is a unique human unlike any other on earth. And science tells us that life begins when a sperm and egg unite. So this really is the dilemma, right? This is the moral dilemma that we find ourselves in. And so the question becomes, what do you do with these excess embryos? All across the the internet, and I have a, a very, very dear friend in my family who's in this stage right now. And I think she and her husband are getting ready to adopt uh, these embryos out. And it, it seems to me, so President Obama kind of got in the mix, right? And uh, the fate of these unused embryos really took on a new resonance. Uh, after Obama lifted an eight-year ban on federal funding on embryonic stem cell research, which I think is an egregious thing. Embry- uh, Obama said the embryos cannot be created solely for research, but most experts expect researchers to secure embryos left over from IVF treatments. And so this is what I would say you absolutely want to avoid at all costs is, is donating these uh, these these embryos to science. But there is a form of adopting uh, these these embryos. And I think it's kind of a cool thing, actually. I mean, the embryos are already there, so we could discuss the moral implications of IVF and leftover embryos on a different show. But for the for the purposes of this show, uh, there's a bioethicist right now who's at Folks in the Family, and they are also working with families uh, through IVF and trying to figure out how they can help these families solve their moral dilemma. And this is what he said. It dawned on us that what you have with frozen embryos is the opportunity for early adoption. He said, we are rescuing an adoptable child. So this form of adoption, of course, has critics. Abortion rights groups uh, generally object to the term adoption because they don't believe that it's a human being at all, which is ridiculous. The Catholic Church says that IVF violates the principle that all life must be considered fully human from the moment of conception. And like the Catholic Church, focus on the family objects to the creation of excess embryos, calling it irresponsible use of technology. Still, as long as there are surplus embryos, the group will advocate for their donation and adoption rather than research or destruction. And that is really where I fall on this. And so it sounds to me like you are not in a position and your husband is not um, interested in. caring for these babies. And so I would be looking for an organization that would help you vet the families. One of the concerns of my friend who had these leftover embryos was simply that you need to know. I mean, you consider that once these uh, embryos are implanted into a uterus, not all of them survive, but a large part of them, a large portion of them will. And so we want to know who are these uh, embryos being donated to? What will the family that they grow up in be like? And so it should matter to you, just like it would matter if you were um, if you were giving up a, a brand new newborn to adoption. So uh, this is a this is a really important question. And bizarrely, in the culture now, we have so much uh, access to science and all of these new um, new programs and research that's going out every day. And I think it's going to continue to get more and more extensive as we get more and more technology. But I'm going to encourage you, like I did before, 
I really do believe that these are human beings and that we should not uh, give them up for research. That just seems cruel to me. And obviously we don't want them destroyed. And so there are lots of families that are uh, interested. And this is, a, I mean, I would imagine now like a multi-billion dollar industry. If there's 500,000 stored embryos, and this is the equivalent of a population like Atlanta or Tucson, Arizona, that are they're basically in a frozen orphanage, then it stands to reason that there would be parents who'd be interested in adopting. And so that's what I would be looking at doing. Um, I just want to encourage you. I don't think that there's any simple solution to this. This wasn't a problem that we had, you know, generations ago. This is relatively new, but it definitely is a moral dilemma. And I would encourage you pray about it with your husband. Uh, don't ignore the, uh, don't ignore it because it's such a hard thing and it's hard to face. I would talk to uh, your husband. It sounds like you guys had um, good reasons for wanting to do IVF in the first place. Um, now you just have to decide what you're going to do with these four remaining embryos who really have uh, the promise of life. And so we know that uh, we know we definitely don't want to be responsible for the taking of an innocent, uh, innocent life. All right. Anonymous in Arizona. Heidi, my 14-year-old son doesn't want to homeschool any more. My goodness. Uh, that's a great question. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll answer it as soon as I come back. So you got a 14-year-old kid that doesn't want to homeschool anymore. How many homeschool parents have you talked to? That'd be my first question because a lot of parents have 14-year-old kids that don't want to homeschool anymore. I mean, I got a 14-year-old kid that doesn't want to do homework. I've had 14-year-old kids that uh, don't think it's uh, their responsibility to clean the bathroom, even though I've told them to. Uh, who don't feel that they need to do their math homework or their science homework or do any school at all. Uh, remember, and, and this is kind of what I, I'm always trying to tell parents this, and I think it's really important. You are the parent. Your job is to be the parent. So even though you have a, a child that doesn't want to homeschool, uh, it's important for you to know that your job is not to give your child everything that they want. So I think I've told you guys this, this story many times, so I'm not going to camp out on it right now. But um, I think it's important to say that when my daughter, when, when my oldest daughter was 14, she decided she didn't want to homeschool anymore either. I had made the egregious mistake of saying you can do whatever you want. And uh, she went ahead and said, well, that's fine. I don't want to homeschool anymore. And then I had to go back to her and say, okay, I said that you could make this decision basically because I was a chicken and I didn't want to deal with it when you were 12. Now here you are 14 and I'm dealing with it again. So what is it about homeschooling that you don't like? And as you guys can imagine, her answer to me was, I want the experience of going to a regular school. It was all about social interactions. She wanted to have friends. This was a, a huge um, motivator for me to start the, uh, one of our homeschool co-ops in Southwest Washington because I wanted my daughter to have these, these wonderful experiences uh, with, uh, with other students that were also homeschooled. So we did a homeschool dance every year. We did a couple of them. In fact, they're still going on here at the Homeschool Resource Center. We do father-daughter dances. We do high school dances. We do, um, there's all manner. There's a bunco night, all kinds of things. You know, uh, obviously there's field trips and many, many other opportunities. But I would say, talk to your 14-year-old son and ask him why he doesn't want to homeschool and then see if you can get into his heart and help uh, and help make those, uh, alleviate some of those fears. But I would say putting your kid back in a public school right now, absolutely not an option. All right, I have one more kind of difficult question uh, today. And, you know, like I said, the staff, we, we, we kind of go, you know, back and forth. Do we answer these questions knowing that somebody's on the other 
on the other end of this. So uh, I'm going to read it to you and uh, give you as as best I can uh, some encouragement. Heidi, I'd like your advice on a marriage issue. I've tried to heal and forgive, but my husband has repeatedly let me down. He's been unfaithful by take by talking to girls via text message or social media, and in the past, he's watched pornography. When I've caught him in lies, to when I caught him, he lies to my face and finally gives in. Through the years, he's tried counseling, but I feel he wasn't in a hundred percent. And the counseling only happened a couple of times, and that was it. Seems like I'll stop for a short time that I know of being sorry and at least acting to me, and then he goes back to his pattern. At least one time he's met up with a girl and said that they were kissing. I've tried to forgive and move on. I haven't gone to counseling, so I'm going to go ahead and try that. I need help and guidance. I'm a follower of Christ, and I just want to make the right choice. So we have two children. Okay, so first of all, the one thing I would I definitely want to encourage you not to do is not to ignore it. Uh, you're going to hear people say in the church, well, it doesn't matter. Well, your, um, you know, your responsibility is to stay married no matter what. I don't subscribe to that at all. There are definitely deal breakers. God hates divorce, but there are deal breakers in marriage. And it sounds to me like you have a husband who's both immature and immoral. And so uh, I would encourage you, get help. I mean, absolutely get help from your pastor. Talk to somebody. Don't leave this uh, with somebody like me with a podcast because I'm not in your life. You need to be talking to people who are absolutely in your life. Before you can take this further. You need to be sure that you uh, establish exactly what's going on, a timeline. You want to do this immediately, if not sooner. Uh, over the years, you know, I've been married for 33 years. My husband and I have counseled, counseled many, many couples over the years, and we have been uh, observers of many other situations where there was um, what I would call adultery light going on. So flirting, that kind of thing. Uh, and these are the things that, you know, it's it's sort of the beginning of this, you know, it's maybe five steps into a 50 mile walk that they're about to take. But you've got to bear in mind from the beginning that um, the damage that infertility inflicts on a marriage is primarily a matter of betrayal and of broken trust. And so there's a sense in which, uh, you know, that you'll start to see the separation happen. So the wife's upset. So she stops having sex with her husband. And the husband says, well, you're not having sex with me anymore. And so now I'm even more prone to watching porn or more prone to flirting online or whatever it is, but it's sin. And so uh, it sounds to me like sex hasn't been part of the equation in this particular instance, but I wouldn't, uh, uh, it, that's the next step, right? So you want to verify as much as possible these relationships uh, were a more than just a friendship that there wasn't sex involved. But if your spouse has lied to you repeatedly, and it sounds to me like he has, to the extent that you're able, you want to put forth a careful and cautious case to your pastor, to your pastor's wife, to define your spouse's behavior as accurately as possible. So you don't want to make an unwarranted uh, accusation. You don't want to wade into water that you don't need to wade into. But you want to, um, don't ignore it. Uh, I love this article uh, from folks in the family. It says, basically, marital infidelity exists on a continuum. On the one end, there's a unique, isolated, one-time moral slip-up, a mistake that seems completely out of character on the part of the offender. The seriousness of such an offense should not be downplayed, since in most cases, the external relationship, the actual affair, is really just a symptom of a much deeper problem, the final step in a 100-step journey, if you will. In spite of this, there are some important ways in which the one-time slip-up demands an equally intense and intentional but different response and treatment than a situation that has that has involved repeated affairs. 
the latter scenario lies at the other end of the spectrum and what might be called the most recent episode. Yet another incident in a long-established pattern of waywardness. An affair of this variety has to be approached from a very different perspective simply because the offender has an established history of violating his or her marital vows. Vows. So you 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 want to confront the person, and then you want to create what my husband calls a crisis in the marriage. So you say, uh, "This is this is where we are. It's here and no further. We need to get help. It's this or this." And uh, talking, you know, drawing people in, whether it's close friends, your church elder, your pastor, uh, people who would be inclined to listen and to your, who your spouse would be inclined to listen to. But what I don't want you to do is ignore uh, what's happening and just expect that it's going to go away because it's very likely not, that's not going to be the case. So lay out your plans. Uh, if you're going to, if you're going to confront over a marital infidelity, then I'm going to encourage you, like I always do, uh, be ready for the the fallout from that. Be ready financially. Um, make those arrangements before uh, you walk out the door. Don't wait until you're emotionally out of control and then run the risk of making a snap decision that you're going to regret later. And then make sure and you put this thing in the hands of the Lord. So get help. Don't ignore it. Don't excuse it. Don't run away from it. You have two children who desperately need you. And what I have seen happen uh, for generations now, and I know that you have probably seen it too, is that uh, if you don't address it correctly, your children are going to very likely wind up in the same situation you find yourself in. And so uh, get help. Uh, Don't make excuses for your husband and make sure that you don't make accusations that are unwarranted. So um, I I will be praying for you, sweet mom. You're in a tough spot and I know that uh, you're not alone. If anyone who's listening to this today has resources that you think, hey, this is what, um, this would be a really great uh, resource for this listener, please shoot them to me, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday, and I will link back to them in the show notes next week. In the meantime, I have several articles I will link back to for you guys today, and I hope that you will get the help that you so desperately need. You guys get the help that you need. For the longest time, the church has made excuses. I say we don't make excuses anymore. There's no excuse for infidelity. Your children are watching you. God wants your marriage to be whole and healthy. That's all I got for you guys today. Again, I'm at the Ark Encounter uh, today and for the rest of the week for the homeschool experience. I hope you guys will come out out and say hello. We've got a book table there. My husband's there and a couple of my kids and a daughter-in-law. So come on out and say hello to me. We'd love to see you. Have a great day, you guys. Love your families well. And I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. 